ain't playing no more. Now it's time, man, get to even the score. Yo, 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 what is up, everybody? You already know who it is. It's your boy C Money giving you the hottest DeFi news from the eyes of a DJ and the mouth of a burger. This week's song of the week is Let the Birds Fly by Bryant K. Man, good woman, work hard all the life. Yeah, as you see, door shut. Yeah, all the time. Gotta let the birds fly high. Yeah, yeah. Let the birds fly high. I got a hand full of doves, gonna raise my hands high. Let them fly, yeah. Gotta let the birds fly. So we got a new season, season three. We are talking about the biggest cryptocurrency scams. Hopefully in an effort to know what we did wrong in the past so we can correct it in the future and know what's possible. So before we jump on in, I want to shout out my Twitter that is at Soggy Margin, also see money. And then we have the Twitter for the podcast, and that is Web3TV. The founder of Mt. Gox is actually Jeb McCaleb. He's the current CTO of Stellar, and he served as the CTO for Ripple until 2013. In January 2018, McCaleb's Ripple holdings equaled $20 billion, making him the 40th richest person. He donated, on the Forbes list, he donated half a million dollars of XLM, which is Stellar, to the artificial intelligence group and he has also donated to the machine intelligence research group so McCaleb had obviously been he's he's a beast so his start was at the end of 2006 he was actually indicted by the US government because he was the creator of a platform called eDonkey eDonkey is a peer-to-peer file sharing, kind of like Pirate Bay, and at one point it topped 4 million users. And this was, this was 2005, I believe the company started in 2001. And so to have 4 million users before the iPhone and, you know, mobile technology was a big deal. So... He ended up paying a $30 million fine for copyright and he um, had a cease and desist, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't keep doing business. So at the end of 2006, he had the idea for an online card trading game, Magic the Gathering. And he created this, um, he created the URL in 2006 and about a year or two later, he kind of got bored and he saw <clears throat> he saw uh, a Bitcoin thread and he just got encased with the whole Bitcoin thing. So in July 18th, 2010, Mt. Gox began selling Bitcoin and this didn't end well because just months, just eight months later, the company was sold to Mark Carpellis for an undisclosed amount. Now, we're going to talk a little bit later about the transaction because 
Jeb McCaleb claimed he was bored. He that that he didn't find an exchange fascinating and he wanted to go and create projects, which he did end up doing like Ripple and Stellar. But as we know, the blockchain never lies. And so the way a lot of these scams or excuse me, hacks were detected is by looking at all of the deposits to the exchange and then they looked at the withdrawals and then they looked and saw who withdrew who withdrew more than they deposited and so you know this this took a lot of time and so there is a team that I'll mention in the end that actually created a program to shift through all of these transactions and they did a lot of this research um, so problems began on March 1st in 2011 while the exchange was still owned by McCaleb. Uh, there was what's called a Liberty Reserve exploit and this is basically where an unsanitized input or a foreign strip of code basically tells the computer to do an XML ejection which basically deletes code from the system I'm pretty sure and this gave them admin access on a custom account this was the beginning of Mt. Gox's troubles but 50,000 Bitcoin were lost and that totals 19 million dollars this basically made the exchange super insolvent it was already a big liability so 10 days later Jeb McCaleb sells the exchange to Mark Carpellis. Mark Carpellis was born in 1985 in France. He began his career as a network administrator and software developer for a Russian company. Um, in 2009, he started his own Bitcoin-related tech-providing company called Tibane Co. Ltd. And he was a founding member in the Bitcoin Foundation. Um, now you needed to you needed to pony up a decent amount of money to do this so mark was definitely a wealthy person so just after the sale uh, you know a couple days later users began to withdraw negative balances basically the system read that as a deposit and if you think about it if you withdraw a negative amount it would be a deposit. Luckily, the users tried to do an astronomical amount and the team was able to catch it before the withdrawal went through. That being said, around the same time, now this is all within a week, their hot wallet is stolen. So basically, the term hot wallet is a wallet that's connected to the internet. Then there's the term cold wallet, which is a wallet that's not connected to the internet, like a ledger. When you look at a MetaMask wallet, when you look at a Phantom wallet, Exodus wallet, all those are connected to the internet. They're hot wallets, ledgers, cold wallets. So basically someone can just hack into your computer, put a key logger on it and track it. With a cold wallet, you can't really do that. So on March 1st, the hot wallet was stolen and it was hacked for 80,000 Bitcoin or $31 million. And... It was sent out of the exchange, but to this day, that Bitcoin has not moved. Two months later, in May 22nd, we're still in 2011, the cold wallet was stolen. So that means somebody actually gained access to the premises in Japan. 
they temporarily sent this the bitcoins from the cold wallet to their personal hot wallet and that was 300,000 bitcoin so apparently the person felt bad i think he had some ties in the blockchain where his name was out there they found out who it was and before they called the police they they basically talked to him and he gave back 99% of the bitcoin and he still stole 3000 bitcoin so that's that's a lot of money 3000 bitcoin is still crazy so in june 19th 2011 this was the first public hack and hackers gained access to McCaleb's admin account at the time with the when, with the way McCaleb sold Mt. Gox he still kept 12% of the company meaning he still had an admin account and he still had a lot of power at the exchange and so people gained access to his account and they used his admin abilities to change the order book price to artificially crash the market 2000 bitcoin were stolen and that was 117 million dollars so around this time in august 2011 uh the company bitomet deleted their wallet now this is a different company however you'll get why this ties in bitomet was a bitcoin bank basically they they helped invest they help people invest into bitcoin and they accidentally deleted their wallet when they were using it on a virtual machine. A virtual machine is basically an operating system inside of an operating system. And they decided to put their wallet on there. And I think an employee deleted the VM that the wallet was on, basically deleting the wallet forever. So they lost a bunch of money. And Carpellus decided that this was a good business opportunity, and he absorbed their debt and company for 17,000 Bitcoin, which today, that is $663 million. Way overpaid. Way overpaid. And for the insolvency his company was in at this point, I mean, we've already, we've already talked about at least 100k Bitcoin stolen. So, this guy's in really really bad shape still in september a hacker compromises the database to gain access to the read and write code he used this power to inflate account balances and withdrew the funds they deleted site logs and mount gox kept quiet about a lot of these scams you know you noticed i just told you about the first public scam mount gox wanted to make sure their users trusted them they didn't want to tell people they're getting hacked every week and, you know, this is very frequent. So they definitely chose the routes of pushing stuff under the rug. So they deleted logs and 77,500 Bitcoin just disappear without users even noticing. And Mt. Gox never said anything. So it basically went unnoticed. And they deleted the site logs. So just nobody knew. Um... Sometime through September 11th, now this is the same time, and October 1st, the hot wallet is hacked again. Now, it's weird because when they hacked the hot wallet, they waited weeks after they gained access to steal any money. But, 
when they did decide to steal money, boy oh boy did they decide to steal money. 630,000 Bitcoin were stolen. 630,000 Bitcoin were stolen. Wow. On October 11th, 10 days later, incorrect deposits somehow glitched the system into giving 48 accounts 44.3 thousand Bitcoin. 14,000 was retrieved from good actors, but most people who saw about a thousand Bitcoin go into their account, they just got out of there, right? They just took that money and left. At the time, Bitcoin was very cheap. You hear a lot of these numbers, and this was when Bitcoin was trading at below $100, you know, about $100, below a thousand for sure. So, you know, when you see 77,000 Bitcoin, that's only like a million dollars. And at the time, Mt. Gox was actually accounting for 70% of all the transactions on the network. So this was no small puppy. This was Coinbase, basically. This was Coinbase. And that's why people need to think this was early. Yes, this was definitely early. However, the volume and the interest was huge. There were early adopters for sure. And a lot of these early adopters were tech people. They already had money. They already had, uh, the Bitcoin was cheap. I mean, just everything was laid out perfect for these guys to really take Bitcoin and really, really build the foundation for this network. So on October 26th, now we're still in October, markets switched to a new wallet. This change glitched the site code and basically the code didn't materialize the serial keys and it was basically sending cryptocurrencies to blank wallets and this bitcoin was lost forever and 2.6 thousand bitcoin were lost so at this point an immense amount of bitcoin has been lost right um the exchange is making money from exchange fees, but this is pennies compared to the millions of dollars that are being stolen. And so Mark knew this. And so he thought he could create a arbitrage bot on his market, which is pretty crazy because a lot of people think this is new technology today. You know, a lot of people are arbing stuff, but Mark and stuff were doing this before Ethereum was even created. So he created an arbitrage bot and this bot was actually trading for most of the exchange's life. In total, the bot lost $50 million and 23,000 Bitcoin. By 2013, the exchange facilitated, like I said before, 70% of the transactions on the Bitcoin network. In April, Mt. Gox suspends its platform for the first time. And they cited a market cooldown, which is vaguely similar to Robinhood. Hmm. As I go on, um, this, was a, this was the first red flag. In early May, CoinLabs, a U.S.-based financial institution who basically went through the process of becoming a bank, uh, was in a deal with Mt. Gox to give up all of their U.S. customers. I think the secret 
was out of the bag. Everybody knew Mt. Gox was going under, especially these other big companies. So Mt. Gox was trying to sell their customers, hopefully to get out of bankruptcy, if that makes sense. Or I guess I should say their users. However, Mt. Gox never gave up their users. Um, I feel like they might have got pride involved and they didn't want to admit that the company was insolvent. And if they did, the co people would just withdraw the funds before it could be transferred to um, Coin Lab, but that's all speculation. Um, you know, all these dominoes are starting to fall. So the U.S. agencies shortly after seized five million dollars and give the company a warrant to testify in court because they were doing financial dealings without being a institution in America. And so users began to withdraw, and that's when the fun begins. So withdrawals were slowly going through, but they're delayed for weeks or months at this time. On February 7th, the withdrawal stopped completely, and on February 23rd, Carpellis leaves the Bitcoin Foundation and deletes Twitter. The following day, on February 24th, the exchange goes down completely. At this time, people are furious, you know, mad, mad, mad. Carpellis becomes a celebrity, and he ends up filing for bankruptcy protection in a French court, and the United States government ends up acquitting him on fraud charges of inflating balances. However, he got acquitted on most of his charges. He was set to do close to life, and he only did about a year, less than a year. So he definitely walked away easy. He also found a wallet with 200,000 Bitcoin in it. So when you, when you take a couple steps back and you think, well, who did all of this? It seems like a lot of these hacks, you know, they're getting hacked multiple different ways and fast. And so there was a actual Russian crime syndicate. I don't know the actual Russian gang. I did not want to do too much research in this, but a man by the name of Alexander Vinnick, AKA WME was, um, he received over 500,000 of the 850,000 Bitcoin. That's 70% of the stolen funds. Uh, he was an alleged ambassador for another exchange, but it was more interesting about the ties he had to, like I said, the Russian mafia. It was found in his wallets that he was connected to the 2012 deaths of Bitfloor and Bitmango. So he made a couple mistakes. And, you know, the whole point of this podcast is to look at mistakes. And for a guy that said he stole 500,000 Bitcoin, these mistakes are just too obvious. Um, beginning with, he never used any transaction tumblers or mixers. He never changed up any transaction or tried to use any opposite. He sent coins from multiple scams at the same time. He deposited stolen coins back into Mt. Gox. Yes, stolen coins from that exchange and then deposited back into it. And then when they, when they confiscated his funds, he used his ID to complain. And so we knew who owned that wallet. And so, you know, if you're trying to be secret, and I don't recommend anyone do scams, 
but don't send your ID somewhere claiming that it's your wallet, first off. Second off, you don't don't combine wallets for multiple scams because that just that just builds a case against you. If they get one wallet and catch you one way, they'll get you in that one place, but they won't get you in the other ones. Man, I sound evil. And then the final one was the transaction tumblers. You know, these transaction tumblers, they don't give you 100% protection, but they give you enough for reasonable deniability. You know, these transaction tumblers just send your Bitcoin through hundreds of wallets. And so it takes forever to figure out where the Bitcoin actually went and went through. And it's easy to get it confused with other wallets. And so that's kind of the, the thing with those guys. Some key takeaways for users. Uh, we see how the hot wallet was stolen a bunch of times. I mean, we're not going to have an exchange, right? But code can definitely break okay and these hot wallets connected to the internet are obviously a lot more susceptible to hackers i think another key takeaway would if you do have a cold wallet put it in a safe or something i think it's crazy that an exchange's cold wallet was stolen that would have to be crazy to see um and the big thing is not your keys not your crypto okay if you trade on Robinhood. You don't own those. What's going to happen if Robinhood goes out of business? Oh, well, that could never happen. People said the same thing about Mt. Gox. Same thing with Coinbase. What's going to happen if the government doesn't like Coinbase? This is a completely new ball game with completely new legislation. You can't trust these guys because at the end of the day, this technology is cool. The government is not. And we've heard Janet Yellen and... Ooh, I want to say this other girl's name, but I don't know it. We've had a bunch of people come on the scene and say Bitcoin is actually hurting the U.S. dollars and it could be a big issue, which is preposterous. I mean, it, it definitely is negative towards the U.S. dollar, positive towards people. The government doesn't like that. So you really can't trust these exchanges or companies. Mt. Gox hit zero Bitcoin multiple times throughout its exchange history before it even closed down and nobody knew. Most of this information wasn't even realized until a group of hackers came together called WizSec. So huge shout out to them and all of their research. It was key in making this podcast and it was also pretty cool to see the power of blockchain. Everything was traceable. It was a lot of work. It was not easy, but it was there for them, and they rolled their sleeves up, and they got it done. To this day, they are still tracking the Bitcoin stolen, the wallets, and the investigation continues. It'll never end. This is kind of the reason why automated markets are so cool. Uniswap, um, One Inch, Bancor, because everything's transparent. You don't have a situation like this. That being said, the protocol still could be hacked, but it's a lot more above the table than a centralized exchange. And that's just because you have a customer dynamic where with these automated market makers, you need the customer to run the store he's shopping in, which is an interesting concept. Okay, so getting ready to wrap up, 
this week's NFT project of the week is Worthless Pixels. Yeah, it's Worthless Pixels, really building cool stuff. Thank you guys for listening. Shouts out to Bryant K and shouts out to you for listening to season three. Another banger. Mount Gox, we got another one next week. Stay meta. Peace. I got a head full of dust. Yeah. Gonna raise my hands up high. Yeah. Let them fly. Yeah. Let it fly